Hello, my name is Alyssa, and this episode is on major depression. First and foremost, I have to let you know that a lot of people will read or hear the symptoms of a mental disorder and they'll freak out that they have it. A disorder means that it has caused a significant dysfunction. A lot of symptoms can overlap with other disorders too, so please do not assume or diagnose yourself or others. This podcast is not meant to diagnose. If you suspect of a mental disorder, please see a doctor. You may see a general practitioner, but I highly suggest you choose a psychiatrist because their entire focus is on mental illness. When discussing with a doctor and you feel you disagree, you always have the right to seek another doctor's opinion. Okay, so major depressive disorder or major depression. I had to start with this because it feels so common yet so misunderstood. We're seeing this increase in depressive symptoms during this COVID-19 pandemic, yet people are still holding on to stigma and misconceptions about someone who is diagnosed with major depression. There are people out there who don't believe that it can be a disorder because it can go away by just thinking happy thoughts. That's a very naive belief. I am not you and you are not me. What you experience is not my experience. My biological and chemical makeup is not the same as yours. So why are you assuming that everyone's mind works just like yours? We're all unique and you need to think beyond yourself and try to imagine what it is like for someone else. If it's too hard to imagine it, then I suggest you read some of the thousands of blogs out there that goes into detail about what a life is like with depression. Then there are people who acknowledge that major depressive disorder is a thing, but they don't really know what it is besides someone being sad. Oftentimes, people will throw around the word depressing as an adjective in everyday language. By doing this, you're detracting the significance of depressive disorders. In other words, you're allowing people to think that depressive disorders aren't very serious because everybody just goes through something depressing. It's really preferred that you're mindful of the consequences when you use that word. Psychiatric disorders is a dysfunction somewhere in the brain, whether that be biological or neurochemical. You can't see diabetes, yet people are more accepting of that as an illness than major depression. You can look up images of brains that have major depression and those that don't. You'll see that some people literally have structural differences in their brain. If not structural, it can also be from an imbalance of neurotransmitters or incorrect neural pathways. And you can tell that there's a big difference once you see the improvement from treatment. Sometimes depression is because of a medical condition like hypothyroidism. Major depression does not have to be caused by a negative experience. The cause varies widely from person to person, and with causes being different, it's to no surprise that the symptoms of major depression varies person to person too. I'll explain it to you by going through the DSM-5's criteria list. DSM stands for Diagnostic Statistical Manual. There are definitely other guides out there like ICD created by the World Health Organization, but I'm going to stick with DSM because of it being so popular here in the U.S. Alright, let's go through the criteria. First, to no surprise, a person must be feeling a dysphoric or very sad mood and or experience loss of interest or pleasure in almost all activities. People may refer to being numb or feeling like a zombie instead of being sad. Then they must meet at least four out of the seven that I'm about to go through. One, unintentional weight gain or loss by more than 5% of body weight within a month or less or it could be a decrease or increase in appetite. The most common is an increase in appetite, which can in turn result in weight gain. I actually had the more uncommon symptoms of never having an appetite until very recently with medications. I really had no idea what an appetite was until like two months ago. 
As a child, my family would yell at me all the time for not eating enough. One time, my mom told me to either eat or get out, and I walked out of the house. <laughs> I never lost weight, but I am on the lower side of average weight, so a lot of people assumed that I was anorexic, but surprise, it's just because nothing sounded good enough to eat and eating felt like a chore. For people on medications, one of the common side effects is weight gain without a change in appetite or diet. For some reason, I'm experiencing the opposite, where I now have an appetite and I feel like I'm eating more, but somehow I've lost more than 5% of my body weight. This just shows you that everyone is different. 2. Sleep Disturbance Insomnia or Hypersomnia The common one is insomnia, and once again, I had the uncommon one, hypersomnia. I would sleep 12 to 20 hours a day, not always straight. The longest I've slept straight without any awakening was probably about 16 hours. Caffeine didn't always help and I was convinced I needed stimulants, but they required a sleep study and they're so popular right now that to get an appointment was very difficult. Luckily and shockingly, the addition of a new medication has put my sleep to 7-8 to eight hours a night and diminished my chronic fatigue. With that said, 3. Fatigue, tiredness, low energy, or decreased efficiency with which routine tasks are completed. Those who hold stigma tend to label people who have this symptom to be lazy. Lazy is the unwillingness to exert energy even though you're fully able to. If I made you stay awake for 72 hours and run a marathon, how much energy do you think you'd have to do your chores next? Your ability to do so has decreased significantly, and that's how people who experience this symptom is like. Most of the time, it's like we barely did much in the day but feel so fatigued. The tiredness can be so intense in some people that getting out of bed is close to impossible. Number four, psychomotor changes, agitation or retardation severe enough to be observed by others. Agitation could be like moving back and forth a lot or shaking your leg constantly. Retardation here means that someone may literally be walking or talking slower than they used to. It is a clinical term, so please do not use it in normal conversation as it is often used maliciously. A misconception here is that the person has become dumber, but this symptom is really not a reflection of their IQ or intelligence. Number five, impaired ability to think, concentrate, or make decisions. Biggest misconception here is that the lack of concentration automatically makes you ADD or ADHD. That's a whole different disorder that would need to be differentiated by a professional. Six, a sense of worthlessness or excessive, inappropriate, or delusional guilt, not merely self-reproach or guilt about being sick. Everyone knows what guilt is, but delusional guilt is a little different. The best example that I can think of for delusional guilt is, let's say someone is feeling intense guilt about a house burning down and thinking it's their fault, but there's absolutely no connection to the person and the fire. The last criteria is recurrent thoughts of death not just fear of dying, suicidal ideation, or suicide attempts. Like I said before, someone just has to meet five out of those seven criteria that I just talked about, including either the dysphoric mood or loss of interest or pleasure. So because there's a lot of variability, two people diagnosed with major depression can present very differently. If you're wondering about bereavement, DSM-5 touches on it too. If you don't know what that means, it's essentially the morning of a loss, so like if your parents died, for example. It's not going to be considered major depression unless it persists or worsens after two months. 
One interesting fact I learned from reading other people's stories is that some people will actually be consumed by their depression. It's like ingrained into them and that's how they identify themselves. It can be very difficult for them to separate themselves from it because then they have to face the question of, who am I without depression? Some of these patients may not even know they're holding on to that fear and they tend to be more resistant to therapy. Anyways, let's move on to a specific misconception creating stigma. The biggest one I faced growing up was being labeled as an attention seeker just because I was struggling so much with my emotions and psychological well-being. And yes, okay, every once in a while, very rarely, will someone exaggerate to get attention or perhaps even pity. If that's the case though, it may actually be a completely different disorder that I will go into another day. But most of the time, it's a cry for help. Because of that shame someone feels from being labeled as an attention seeker, I grew up in silence and it has greatly impacted my childhood memories. If you ask me to recall a happy childhood memory, I can't. All the memories I have are of traumatic events, hurting myself, and all those nights I cried and prayed to God to take me away. Because of that label, I eventually became my own enemy and tried to convince myself to stop being like this for attention. This stripped away any self-esteem I had, heightened my anxiety, and I started to have intrusive suicidal thoughts starting in fourth grade. I don't think anyone's intention is to cause that by labeling someone as an attention seeker, but the consequences of what you say can be so very detrimental. So please understand that your words can hurt. Another stigma is that those with depression are no fun and often get excluded, which can actually worsen depression. The severity of depression is so very different for people and at different times in their lives. It can range from just a two-week episode with the most minimal symptoms to having it for years and it can get as bad as someone not getting out of bed to do anything. I mean like no showering, no brushing teeth, no eating, and sometimes even urinate or have a bowel movement as they're lying in bed. The most severe ones though you probably won't see because they're often in an inpatient setting, but I can almost guarantee you that you've met someone and had no idea that he or she has major depression. We're really good at hiding it sometimes because we want to avoid the shame. We may still be able to laugh at a joke and chat with you, and sometimes laughter is a brief relief, but it just snaps back to depression like a rubber band. Sometimes people with major depression can look like the life of the party, but it's most likely due to alcohol or drugs to avoid the reality of our symptoms. That leads me to one of the biggest questions that I get asked. If you know you have a problem, then why don't you go fix it with real help instead of alcohol and illegal drugs? Well, if I gave you the option of alcohol or a year's worth of therapy, which do you think is more appealing? Humans often want quick relief and that's what alcohol and drugs do for people. Fun fact here, a long time ago, alcohol used to be a treatment because it gives people that initial good feeling effect and alcohol is a depressant so it can help with anxiety and insomnia. However, now we know of all the negative consequences of alcohol and so the benefits do not outweigh the risks. Let me repeat that. Benefits do not outweigh the risks. Social support is actually a very powerful thing and can help alleviate depression. So what does social support look like? Well, it's definitely not telling them to just get over it. Instead, it's actively listening to whatever they have to say and believing them no matter what. You can respond by saying something like, that seems extremely difficult and I can see how much it's hurting you. Most of the time, people are not going to you for advice or your unsolicited opinions. 
We just want someone to listen or even sit next to us if we're crying. Going to an initial therapy session can even help if they're too scared to go alone. With all this said though, sometimes those with mental illness can start to cause yourself to be very stressed and or emotionally hurt. If this is the case, you absolutely have the right to say something like, hey, I really want to support you and be there for you, but it's taking a toll on my own health. Every so often, someone may rely on you so much that they may threaten to kill themselves if you leave. In this case, don't just walk out of the room on them because they may actually be in crisis. Take them to the emergency room or to a professional. If this isn't possible, call 911 and they can help. If someone says that they feel like they want to kill themselves after something you have done to hurt them, you can either do the same thing if you feel that they're going through crisis, or you can firstly apologize and then make sure that they have a safe plan such as having a family member monitor them for the next few days, especially the next 24 hours. Okay, so the very last thing I want to touch on is the misconception that men who have depression are weak and too sensitive. That's just not true. Like I said before, depression can be from many things like a medical condition or structural deformities in the brain. In addition, being sensitive isn't exactly an indicator for major depression. There can be those with a high power status and still experience depression. There are men who don't even experience dysphoria, but may lose pleasure in doing things, especially sex. Men may also have anger or irritability instead of explicit sadness. I can't remember whose blog it was that I read, but it was of a man who was misdiagnosed as having intermittent explosive disorder instead of major depression because of the anger outburst. He discussed how he went years trying to deal with that diagnosis and the therapies for it, but nothing seemed to have worked until he was reevaluated and re-diagnosed. I was even misdiagnosed with borderline personality disorder based on just one suicidal attempt and like a 10 to 15 minute conversation. The doctor even told me that he doesn't think I meet all the criterias, but he still put that diagnosis onto my record, and that's very frustrating. After reevaluation from another doctor with a more thorough interview, everything was much better explained with the combination of major depression and generalized anxiety disorder. I'm not saying that there's any shame to having borderline, as it is more common than you think, but the therapy for it is different and it was honestly a waste of my time. It's really unfortunate that I have to say this, but being misdiagnosed is not uncommon. There are doctors out there that hold stigma too, and even internal racism, and the stories I've heard are just horrible. So with all that said, I want to emphasize the fact that you are always in the right to ask for another doctor's opinion. Okay, I think I've covered everything that I wanted to cover in this podcast. I am sending out good vibes for everyone, and I hope you learned something. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.